Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here as always with Andrew Dinsick, recording late on Thursday. Today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the conference title game, some, I guess, concluding thoughts. We'll give out our best bets across those games. We will talk uh, a little Australian Open now that we know the women's final matchup. Uh, and then we'll close out with NBA Most Improved Player which is always a bit of a wonky award. Um, But speaking of awards, Drew, first, a little PFWA recap. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, the Pro Football Writers Association, they've been giving out their awards all this week. These are not uh, the awards that, you know, we bet on. Uh, That's the Associated Press, and that's what will be handed out at the NFL Honours on February 8th. But these PFWA awards, they've historically been pretty predictive uh, of who will win the AP awards. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, it's about, I think it's about 300 voters and they're all basically beat writers um, who cover the league at large or cover individual teams. So that is the background. And a lot of the AP voters, um, it's not exactly, it's not like one-to-one, like there are, you know, uh, a lot of, there are TV executives, there are announcers who vote on the AP awards, and I think that the PFWA skews more towards beat writers, but still it's huge overlap. It's very indicative, and we've got a lot of those results now, Drew. So uh, it's been pretty much chalk across the board. Uh, I think, that the to me, the three interesting ones are Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year, um, Will Anderson, Defensive Rookie of the Year, and then D'Amico Ryan's Coach of the Year today. Um, do you feel like those three awards are kind of wrapped up for those three guys? Ryan's is the one wild card because you look through the years at the coaching voting and it is a little scattershot, right? Like it's not, there's not a coalescing behind one candidate really any given year. So I'm always going to be sweating the coach of the year until it gets announced. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I agree with your reads in the markets otherwise. And uh, I mean, the, the, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't refreshing everyone who I know has a vote to see if they just tip their hand on Garrett DPOI so I can sleep a little easier at night. Not that it's like life-changing money, but like I would really like to not have to sweat that one. Uh, it would be great to know if if, if Garrett's feeling pretty confident he's going to get the award. Um, you know, I would like to be a little more confident. But um, no, the coach of the year still is the one that I'm most intrigued by. And, um, you know, they listed the finalists and I guess like... No, no one cares for Shane Steichen enough to even give him down ballot votes. Really? Okay. 
all right, like no Matt Lafleur too. Like you know, these guys. I know that I'm shading it a little bit on Matt Lafleur with how well he did and you know upsetting the Cowboys, but uh, you know he got a team of absolute uh, you know kids <laughs> to play well enough to go to the playoffs. Like that's pretty impressive what they did offensively. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm I was a uh, uh, um, a little surprised that he's not even invited to the uh, ceremony uh, in uh, in Las Vegas, but. Uh, um, yeah, the, the, you know, are you on the same page with me on coach of the year? Or do you think it's more of a done deal? Uh, I think it's more of a done deal. And okay. the reason why is that one, I, I'm just, I take your point entirely. This is a very, it's a much more scattershot award. It's probably the most subjective <laughs> award, um, outside, I guess, outside a comeback player, though, usually there does end up being consensus there. The thing is, is that, so one, I think D'Amico, from everything that uh, I have heard and seen from actual voters, I think D'Amico already had a sizable lead. Um, just when you look at also what people were saying the week leading up to the Colts win and then the immediate aftermath, I think that certainly there was a wave of D'Amico support. A number of people who were going to vote Stefanski flipped to D'Amico and D'Amico already had a strong base. And then with Got the it. PFWA... Every winner since 1993 of the PFWA Award for Coach of the Year has also won the AP Award. Outside of one, outside of randomly, Tony Sperano uh, lost to Mike Smith in 2008, but he lost by one vote in the AP. So, again, that stuff is a little skewed because, you know, normally there is just, well, often there is just a runaway winner, um, like, say, Mike Vrabel a couple of years ago. Just sure. you know, He was always going to win both votes, but still, I think that's pretty instructive. So... I don't think it's 100% for D'Amico, but I don't think it's that far off. Now, okay. I, uh, I'm i generally pretty guarded with my optimism around an awards position. Uh, <laughs> I was sweating out, sweating out Mikhail Bridges, uh, hoping that he wouldn't beat Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, till the bitter end, still saying that there was you know a little bit of a chance that Smart could lose and uh, completely torpedo me. But I am, uh, and I'm in your boat with wanting Garrett to win. I think that's done, uh, and okay. I'm not. I'm not sweating that. I think that one is over between the PFWA award, between getting 40 All-Pro votes to 32, between what everything voters have said. What is third on a lot of ballots? Um, and I think that Garrett is going to be pretty close to top two on uh, – Yeah, he. well, I mean, he'll be top two on all ballots, but 10, given that he was uh, first-team All-Pro on 40. Yeah. 50 yeah, so I, I'm hanging. I'm hanging my hat pretty big time on that data point, honestly. <laughs> and, but like you know, we've constructed you know a, a, when it comes to defensive player of the year, the idea of somebody just looking at it statistically and being like, "Well, what was the sack leader? Why would I put him behind Garrett?" Like people will do silly stuff like that. Yep. Um, I don't know. I I, I think the I, I would say that at least from who I have heard has votes this year, it feels like they are kind of moving the voting block in a really good direction. Like more and more people who are voting are really like, uh, uh, you know, kind of at the cutting edge of the sport and less, you know, kind of entrenched in their their regional niche. Right. And I think that that part of it is what gets you the weirder results where people didn't, you know, hey, man, I, I watched every AFC South game. I didn't see any of the AFC North. I, TJ Watt had more sacks. We'll go him, right? Like there's less of that and more of sort of, uh, you know, kind of broad totalitarian coverage of, you know, people who are kind of in that vein uh, who are voting now. So I think cautiously optimistic we're going to have a fun night uh, recapping that one. Yes, and we'll be doing that live uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Will Anderson, He, I think to me that's, well, we'll talk about comeback player in a sec quickly, but Will Anderson, 
Uh, the fact that he won the PFWA award, the fact that he's polling pretty well with actual voters, I think that he is. I don't think he's a lock. I think there's still some uncertainty there, but I think he is, you know, north of 85% to win that award too, uh, just with how Jalen Carter and the Eagles finished their season and the fact that I don't think Kobe Turner is, I think that, you know, a lot of people still don't fully realize who he is. Um, and I think that he's going to be off ballot a chunk um, with Devin Witherspoon or Joey Porter third or, or whoever. Um Comeback player of the year if the PFWA gets announced Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Now, they have a most improved player award too, which dilutes things a little bit. Although mm. for this year, like, I don't think like Mayfield and Flacco, mm. I don't think they're really most improved cases because they already had a previous pretty high level. I would think that most improved goes to someone like Deron Bland or Kyron Williams or something like that. So I think that it should be pretty representative of what the final vote will be, but that would be interesting because I do think there is a chance that Mayfield could get Hamlin, though. I think Hamlin's still a pretty uh, pretty decent favorite. Mm. Anyway, we will uh, break that down in due course. Uh, now, looking forward to the games this weekend, Chiefs-Ravens, Lions, 49ers, been a little bit of movement towards both of the favorites in this one. Uh, has your mind shifted on either of these guys? Uh, no, but let's kind of comment on the markets because that's maybe the more interesting part. Um, <clears throat> last time we talked about these games, we had relatively low, uh, you know, low liquidity, low limits uh, on the totals. We've gotten since, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, limits starting to come up uh, and not a lot of action there. Um, so I think I, if anything, um, you know, seeing at some of the sharper shops, no one's really interested to come with me on over in that Chiefs Ravens game. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, sentiment on no, no, this is the right total. If anything, it should be forty-four. Um, so that has me a little bit concerned, and uh, gonna you know try to talk to some sharp people who uh, I respect in the totals game because frankly, I'm more of a sides player than a totals player, and just kind of get a sense of if there's something that I missed there. Um, but uh, also interesting to me that uh, there, you know, among the shops that will take, you know, will write the biggest bets on. This for now um it seems like circa wants to write chiefs and it seems like some of the offshore shops want to write ravens uh and that may just be a little bit of a sentiment of there is a you know split in the market some people feeling like this is a perfectly fair line some people that want a little bit of action on chiefs and some that want ravens um i still think the chiefs are the right side i think three is probably the correct number um, and uh, I'm going to ride out my Chiefs uh, at four to one, you know, four plus four forty um, to win the uh, AFC bet that we made before the um, playoffs started. And granted, made it at the time thinking there was, you know, a realistic chance that the Bills weren't going to get in uh, and that the Chiefs might play the Steelers. Like there was a lot of things that were potentially, uh, you know, had nothing to do with the Chiefs getting better that would have made that a better, you know, higher equity position. Um, now, ultimately, them getting here and being, you know, plus 174, plus 175 uh, ish on the money line is, you know, I feel pretty solid about that. But, um, you know, fundamentally, the matchups, the injuries, nothing has surprised me so far. Um, and I guess this is, uh, I think this is realistically just going to come down to, um, you know, the number one, the, the Chiefs being able to backfill from a run blocking and a pass protection uh, in the absence of Joe Thune. Uh, it's going to come down to, uh, you know, just ex in general, how do they do on run defense and do they turn, you know, our runs that, 
are consistently successful against them? Do they keep them from getting explosive or are there some explosive runs? Uh, and in general, does the uh, reintegration of Mark Andrews change anything about the passing offense for the Ravens to the good or the bad? Um, and for me, I kind of look at everything and I see these two experienced quarterbacks, you know, two, <laughs> two quarterbacks with multiple MVP seasons under their belt. Um, and uh, whether it's not really spooky and uh, relatively healthy skill position groups, and I'm still scratching my head as to why we're looking at a 44 and a half as a total. Um, definitely a reasonable game state that um, you know a rate if like if the Ravens are doing well early, if they are out to a lead, if they put some scoreboard pressure on Mahomes, then I think this goes over. Um, and uh, you know if this is a score and answer, I think this could go over by margin. Uh, the one game state that I think kind of marries into or leans into an under is if the Ravens offense just no shows and the Chiefs have a decent lead at halftime and just play keep away and shorten the game. And I think that's by far the least likely <laughs> the least likely game state here. So um, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of scope here for the Ravens to win by margin. There's plenty of scope for this to be a shootout and uh come down to, you know, who has the ball last, maybe even overtime. Um and so I'm gonna sit tight on my over even though nobody wants to come with me. My concern with the Chiefs is that I, I know how good they've looked on offense the past two weeks, but I still can't shake someone who's pretty invested in the Chiefs in the back half of this season. Just the fact that they had absolutely nothing at home against the Raiders on Christmas. The fact that against pretty vulnerable Eagles and Packers past defenses, they really couldn't do that much. And I don't think this has just magically turned into a top three, four offense overnight, even though they have Mahomes and he has an extra gear in the playoffs, which seems like it's pretty uh, quantifiable at this point. But I just think that with the fact that the Dolphins had no edge rushers and were just going cover zero repeatedly with the fact that the Bills had no linebackers and Rasul Douglas seemingly couldn't move and they were just super banged up uh, and had no resistance whatsoever. I skew more to that inflating the Chiefs. And I do think there is an element of like, Kelsey just looks better and more athletic having more rest. Um having not had to play the final week. Mahomes has another gear, and that's being surfacing. Rasheed Rice has gotten better progressively this season, but I just don't think that they are, you know, back to the offense that they were last season. And I worry a bit that the Ravens, just with an extra day of rest, getting healthier, like Marlon Humphrey will be back, Mark Andrews will be back, um, that ultimately... And also just the fact the Ravens have the best run offense in football and the Chiefs run defense can't do anything. Like they got right. completely destroyed. So um, for all of those reasons, um, I feel like I know what's going to happen, Drew. The Niners are going to beat the Lions. The Ravens are going to beat the Chiefs. Every person in America is going to pick Baltimore to beat San Francisco in the Super Bowl because that's what happened on Christmas. And then my boy Brock Purdy is going to ball out and give the MVP performance that he should have on Christmas. And uh, the Niners are going to be Super Bowl champions. They're very convincing. <laughs> yes reality of eventuating so uh I, I don't disagree with you the most likely thing is the ravens win this game but it sounds almost like you're leaning ravens at three and a half am i right uh i mean Mahomes is still pretty scary um but i think it at four which it is at four some sorts now like you mentioned circa circus four um flat and i would uh i'd probably be leaning chiefs there um mm -hmm. and yeah, and at the earlier three in the week, I'll probably be leading Ravens. So, yeah, I, mean, I should I should own it up about this game. I did lose a bet already on this one. 
Um, I didn't think we would ever see Mahomes as more than a three-point dog in the playoffs in my lifetime, and we here we are. <laughs> so uh, this is this is a little little shocking. I mean, it, it, obviously, the, there was a chance for there to be road games, but I just felt like three was going to always be the stopping point for Mahomes support. And uh, here you go, you can have a bigger number than that. So, good. Uh, anything quickly on Lions Forty Niners? This line is. It was six and a half earlier in the week. It is yep. now basically minus seven, minus one twenty on that across the board. Debo Samuel practice and was limited, so he's trending in the right direction. Looks like Frank Rag now and Jonah Jackson both banged up, uh, which is a problem. Uh, do you think that this is the right number? Kind of assuming Jonah Jackson's out um, and Rag now is in, but potentially limited. Um, and that spells trouble against a fully healthy pass rush for the Niners. And I think the game still, um, you know, kind of is contingent on that unit winning. If you are generating quick pressure on Goff, then the entire, you know, Lions offense comes unraveled, in my opinion. Um, and if they can do that early in this game and then lean on, let their offense just kind of wreak havoc, which they should against this defense, then all of a sudden you're setting up a, a pretty positive game state for the Niners and they play pretty well uh, with the lead. So um, not exactly uh, scared about my Niners bets in this one and pretty pretty delighted to see all this market support. It has been one-way traffic Niners, and if that's because of the Debo Samuel news only, I'm I'm less excited about the support because I don't actually know that he's, like, I don't yeah. he, I don't know that he has a uh, a dollar, you know, you know, like a, a, a meaningful um, impact on this uh, particular spread. But um, you know, the rest of uh, you know the Niners being relatively healthy, and uh, just in general, this coming down to um, their pass rush being able to win, and you know, kind of a tight band of them getting to thirty points has, has got me pretty excited to be riding with the Niners at home. So let's get a little home field advantage. Let's get Brock Purdy back in uh, win winning mode, and. Uh, uh, let's get home. Let's get home with minus seven. Yep. Okay. Well, my best bet for Championship Sunday, staying in that game. Uh, I'm going with just like last week. Took a secondary Lions receiver uh, over mid 30s yard total in Jameson Williams. Going back to that. Well, this week, but this time with Josh Reynolds. Uh, he is 35 and a half uh, receiving yards is his number. I'm taking the over on that. Reynolds, the past two weeks, he's played 86 and 78% of the snaps. With Jamison Williams, I mean, the, the fact that the bet got home was a little bit fortunate last week, given that he didn't wasn't super involved. Now, they don't really need to throw the ball that much in the second half. I think they'll need to throw the ball in the second half of this game uh, because they are trending towards being seven and a half point. Dogs, perfect conditions of Niners defense that look pretty vulnerable uh, against Jordan Love and the Packers. Um, and I think that Reynolds just being at 35 and a half for the wide receiver two in this offense. I think that the market is skewing a little bit more towards Sam Laporta than it should be in terms of just the distribution of Goff's passing yards because Laporta uh, it, he just seems to match up extremely well against the Bucks. He had double-digit targets when they played in Week 6 against the Bucks. He had double-digit targets last week. Uh, and just when Goff is blitzed, he goes to St. Brown or he goes to Laporta. Uh, and the Bucks they blitz a ton. And also the Bucks they can't defend tight ends. Jawan Johnson uh, had an out-of-body experience of them towards the end of the season. So I think that is a little bit skewed. I think this is going to be more Reynolds uh, in this one. So I'll take the over there. And your best bet is also in this game. 
Yep. Niners minus seven. Uh, it's getting juicy. Um, the question is, if you wake up and you're listening to this tomorrow and it's seven and a half, would I still advocate for it? Yes. <laughs> uh, but honestly, if you wake up tomorrow morning and seven minus one fifteen is not bettable, um, I'm fine looking for alts here. Sell out to yeah. ten and a half. Sell out to thirteen and a half. I think. Um, I think there's a long tail here where the Niners win pretty comfortably. Um, and honestly, that marries into your your bet as well, where we could see Jared Goff in a must pass situation for an entire half of football, um, which makes everybody's uh, passing props look pretty darn good. So, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, we have a couple examples of lines in game states where they're down by margin and uh, they are, you know, 50 attempts for golf and, uh, you know, pretty decent uh, opportunity for um, garbage time yardage. Yep. I have a theory, which I don't think should be super controversial, but um, to give people some insight. So the way like alt spreads are calculated it's not like team adjusted. Like every nine and a half point favorite based on what the total is, uh, they will be the same alternate spread price at minus 19 and a half. My theory is, is that there are certain type of team profiles that lend themselves particularly well to alternate spreads. Teams like, for instance, the Niners and the Ravens who have the, the strength of the Niners. Well, let's talk about it like this. The Niners have an excellent running offense uh, and a suspect rush defense and a pretty good a pass defense. And so that lends well to extending leads because they can run the ball effectively with a lead and it's difficult for teams to catch up against them because they're not able to run the balls effectively. You see that with Baltimore as well. Same thing. They have the best rushing offense in the NFL. Their rush defense isn't actually that good. Their pass defense uh, is the best in the league along with Cleveland. And so just that kind of archetype of a team lends itself well to blowout victories because all of a sudden, you're going to have Jared Goff dropping back to pass with Nick Bosa and Chase Young pinning their eight years back, and they're not going to be able to use you know, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, the ground game as much if they get down. And on the other side, Christian McCaffrey is going to be able to extend the lead. So I yeah. think that, that is, you know, that's a little thing that perhaps if it does get out to minus seven and a half, and if you do want to take some alt spreads on the Niners, I think they lend themselves well as a team profile to, uh, to do that. Yep. Uh, you'd look no further than Green Bay Thanksgiving, uh, yep. Detroit, Detroit. If this is a Detroit Baltimore type of outcome, I, I mean, uh, yeah, kick your feet up, light a cigar. Like you know, th- that would be just a delightful game state. I would be very happy with that. Um, Detroit uh, at the Bears, uh, it's another similar, uh, you know, all three games where you had, uh, you know, qu- you know, a pretty low completion percentage and a million targets by Jared Goff in comeback mode, and they just couldn't get there. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's best case scenario for me in terms of game state. And uh, congratulations to you for getting through a uh, receiving prop uh, as your best bet against the Niners without mentioning your guy, Diamondor Lenoir. <laughs> It's yes. not even we're not even picking on him, um, but uh, no, I'm I'm very curious to see what they you know what the Niners defense does with their corners. Do they stick to their sides? Do they try to specifically key on uh, Amon Ross St. Brown? Because if it's Amon St. Brown in, in the nickel and they stick with Lenore in the nickel, then it's going to be a matchup to watch. Yes, Ambry Thomas hasn't been fantastic lately. No, either. he is not. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Let's uh, pivot to the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, talk Australian Open Women's Final. Xinwen Zhang gets through, having played surely the easiest uh, draw in uh, tennis history to get through to a final. Uh, she is plus 400 against uh, Destroyer of Worlds, Arena Sabalenka, who's minus 550 after taking care of Coco Goff in straight sets. Do you think uh, Zhang has any chance in this one? For the record... Uh, it's not a it's not a, uh, a a beauty contest here, man. In terms of who you beat, um, sure. it, it, she she did what was asked. She took care of business, and uh, it's also not like Arena Sabalenka had the world's toughest draw. She basically got a bye in week one. Um, so it's you know I I, uh, I don't take exception to your characterization, but I would just like it pointed out that um, uh, that this market is uh, it's tilted. In the wrong direction for reasons that I am having trouble to wrap my head around. Um, Sabalenka got through the boogeyman of the semifinals against Coco Goff without without really sweating. Like it was a clean win from her ultimately. Um, although there were moments where I was like, you know, okay, we're starting to see your level come down a bit from the peaks of what we saw over this fortnight. Um, whereas uh, Zheng Shenwen is still on the come up, I believe. Um, and if I, again, like I have some Zheng to win at 12 to 1. It was far, far, far from the best price. I know there are people out there with 50s, 30s. Even that is tough to hedge at these at this current market um, and really make the most out of that. Um, but I will also tell you that fair price should be somewhere around 250, 200 here, not 500, 400, whatever we're seeing. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still very clearly leaning dog with these prices. Um, and I think ultimately... Um, my position is sort of fortified by if you want to find one other archetype out there for Zhen Xingwen's game, it's Alina Rabakina. Like they are built similarly. They have a lot of the same uh, strengths and weaknesses. And uh, in particular, we're seeing Zhang blossom in a lot of ways because she's playing on the better courts with more protection and she has an extremely high ball toss and so her serve is just it's better being on these uh show courts and having the roof closed a couple of times so it's you know that this is not a fluke if you think it's a fluke I, you haven't been paying attention to tennis for the last 18 months um and Zhang can absolutely uh, push the right buttons to give Sabalenka trouble here. Um, Sabalenka is, she can definitely run downhill with the best of them. She can, abs if you don't have an A game that can match hers, you don't really stand a chance on her, uh, on court with her. Like these are facts, but Zheng does have that. So um, sticking, sticking with my outright, uh, we'll probably add some uh, Zheng exotics just because 
I think there's a chance she's just shows up and is the better player. It's possible. Um, and, uh, you know, that I'm not, I'm not afraid to go against Sabalenka as, as well as she has played and as, as perfectly as these conditions match her, uh, her strengths. Um, she put pressure on herself to win two slams before she turns 25 and she turns 25 before the next slam, Jay. So, uh, the fact that there is still some, you know, kind of mental hurdle for her here to, uh, you know, to get this championship, uh, I think, uh, could ultimately matter. So, um, Let's go, Zhang. Yep. She is uh, uh punch, punch the ticket. Yeah. Arena is liable to lose uh, any big match, uh, regardless of the opposition. Um, but yeah, she's obviously the favorite here for a reason. But Zhang, I think this is a her price in this final is a good reminder that if you're backing a long shot in an outright before a tournament, if you can try and back it each way if the price is going to be divided by two. Because Zhang, as much as we love her and as much as she's got all this upside in the world and she may well win this final, she was almost never going to be favoured in the final against, you know, Sabalenka or um, Goff or whoever came out of that side most likely. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, on the men's side before yeah, we to, to piggyback on your point about the outrights, like if you're back in long shots in any tennis tournament, you are you 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 must know Im, you know implicitly you're hoping that there's going to be chaos, that yes. that that the the favorites will get knocked out and that you won't have to deal with this situation. There are people I know who had like you know Casper Ruud fifty to one last year in the French Open, and he goes up against Djokovic, and you're like, oh, well, ter- great, <laughs> wonderful. I want, I've got nothing. <laughs> I can't do anything here. Like this is you know he's got about a a two percent chance to win this match, right? So you know there's there's definitely uh uh you know you're when you're playing the long shots in these tournaments, you're 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 just hoping for chaos, and you almost got it, um, but uh, not quite. Um, yeah. so yeah, the uh, the men's uh, by the way, if you're listening to this on Friday morning, um. Decent chance that the Medvedev's Vera match is still going on. Uh, if it is, I have pretty decent position on Medvedev in this match. I backed him money line. I backed him on the sets handicap. I think Medvedev wins three zero three one, and I think uh, Zverev is uh, overmatched in pretty much all the wrong ways uh, in this matchup. And I think he, I think realistically, that's going to be. We kind of talked about it. Like who's going to have the easier path to the final? I think it's Medvedev because uh, I think Sinner Djokovic is going to be war. Um, sitting tight on my center ticket, not doing anything about it. You'll know the result of this if you're listening to this podcast. You'll already know. Um, but uh, I think he's, I think he's got a coin. You know, he's got a puncher's chance, and uh, I think that market should be closer to a coin flip. So hopefully, center comes through. Hopefully, he doesn't take too much damage, and uh, we are looking at a center Medvedev final. If this is a Djokovic Medvedev final, I don't feel like Daniel has a ton of hope. But uh, I've, we've seen crazier things. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. 
Let's uh, close out with NBA Most Improved Player. Uh, always a wonky market that has very often a fractured vote. We saw Jamarant win with, I think, 37 first-place votes a couple of years ago. Uh, I think we might be, be headed towards a similar situation where Tyrese Maxey very much in the Morant mold of, you know, uh, star, star-ish star player who's averaging like 20 points per game and they take a big leap up into the mid to high 20s while being on a very good team. He's minus 225, Alperin Sengun plus 275, Kobe White 12 to 1, Scotty Barnes 15 to 1, and then there's a big drop-off. Emmanuel quickly will not be winning this award. Jalen Williams is 80 to 1. Halliburton is the second favorite for a time. He's 80 to 1. Has he kind of cooled and then has gotten hurt? Jalen Johnson, I don't think is going to win. He's 100 to 1. Derek White, 125 to 1. Don't think he will have the counting stats. Now, I think a lot of people are uh, treating Maxi as a very vulnerable favorite. And I agree. I don't think he's locked to win this award by any means, um, just because of the fact that a lot of voters, they just don't look towards his archetype which is already really good, turns into, you know, all-star max contract type of player. But there are a subset of voters, and you can basically just look at the 37 people who have many voted for Morant, who do gravitate towards that archetype, who see that as the hardest leap to make. And that's why I think Max is very likely going to win this award, because I think that he is the only real player in that archetype now that Halliburton has fallen off. Now Siakam will take some of Halliburton's usage as well. That I think Maxi has a very high floor, uh, and I don't see why he would start playing worse. So I think you know going from twenty to twenty-six points per game, doubling his assists, having the story of replacing Harden. This team is going to be a two or a three seed. Uh, I think that Maxi at minus two twenty-five. I think that's about a fair price. Uh, but what do you think? <laughs> All right, so you're telling me my Alpern Shingun tickets are in trouble. Uh, um, he's rightfully the second favorite, and if Maxi does fall over, if he goes cold, and his his efficiency has gone down, that's the one thing with his case is that he's not been as efficient as the volume has risen. Yeah. But if he falls over, I think Shingun is pretty clearly the guy, and Shingun, um, his stat leap has been immense. Yeah. Uh, so for the record, you got to make the All Star team in order to win this award. You got to be a first-time all-star. That's kind of the that archetype, um, and I don't know that Shengun's going to get there. He deserves it, but we'll is. see. Yeah, I don't think he is either. Um, and in general, the Rockets are starting to kind of fall apart, and I don't really know what's going on over there. Um, so <clears throat> I had small stakes for at huge prices on Shengun that I was kind of excited about as he's risen out to the second choice, but uh, uh, I may exercise any opportunity I have to get off of those with uh, Maxi before he gets into the minus 2,000 range because, um, yeah, I mean, we're coming up on the All-Star, you know, you know, the all-star uh, uh, rosters being announced. And at that point, I know it's not impossible to be the most improved if you're not an all-star, but uh, there are so many players who literally, you know, so many voters, I think, who just look at the uh, first-time all-star list and make their choice based on that. Yeah, I think, so Maxi, he has all of that kind of conglomerate of, you know, good to great. And the other guys who went from, you know, you know, 15 points per game or less up to, you know, 2022, 20, that type of archetype, I just think between Shangun, White, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Williams, if you want to throw him in there, it's a bit difficult for him as a second-year player, uh, even though he's had immense improvement. I just think that those guys are just going to cannibalize the vote. And the way that Maxi goes down is if one of Shangun, White, Barnes, or someone else of that ilk emerges, 
um, if they rise up and they get all of that type of vote, which is what I kind of thought was going to happen with Darius Garland the year that Morant won. But then the Cavs just fell off and he just didn't get that because DeJounte Murray and Jordan Poole and these guys were all cannibalizing his vote. And I think it's just going to be the same thing. And I think Maxi is going to get less than half the votes and still win fairly comfortably because I don't think okay. there's a consensus between, behind someone else. Though so I do think Shengun is the most likely still to rise up, but he needs the Rockets to go on a bit of a run. Yep, okay. I, I dig I dig all that. Uh, and uh, just real quick, people are going to ask, Rookie of the Year, Wemby is now heavy favorite. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely happy with us and the timing we had that conversation. Uh, and if you want to bet for Friday NBA, uh, taking on the Thunder, we are uh, going Pelicans minus two. Okay, like it. Go Pelicans. All right, don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports from Jake Croucher and Vincic. Good luck this week.